0: Welcome to Think Change. I'm Sara Pantuliano, ODI's Chief Executive. This week we are convening a special episode of the podcast. We want to focus on the humanitarian catastrophe that is unfolding in Gaza. We are recording this episode on Friday, the 20th of October. It's nearly two weeks into the latest escalation in this long and bloody conflict. This latest escalation was triggered by the brutal attack of Hamas in southern Israel, that killed some 1,400 people with 200 more taken hostage, and was followed by the constant firing of rockets into Israel. Israel has responded with an incessant bombardment of Gaza, and has tightened its siege on a community that is already in crisis, um, and has denied millions of people access to basic life-saving services and commodities. On Wednesday, the UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres called for an immediate ceasefire to stop the indiscriminate bombing of civilians and civilian objects. But the same day, a UN Security Council resolution that would have allowed a humanitarian pause was blocked by the US government, um, with the UK and Russia abstaining. We need urgent political action to stop the bloodshed and to allow humanitarian assistance. And yet, we're seeing international leaders be in a diplomatic gridlock that actually risks further destabilizing the region. The criminal action of Hamas can't be used to justify the collective punishment of 2.3 million Palestinian civilians in Gaza, the majority of whom are children. And yet, we're seeing what a race to the bottom on upholding international laws. And it is the role of international law that we want to focus on, in particular, today. So I've invited four experts to talk about what's at stake here and, and how we need to move forward. San Adele joined us for our podcast back in August, where we discussed Netanyahu's increasingly extremist government historic breach of international law of Israel and the growing threats to Palestinian and Israeli rights and the de facto state of apartheid in which Palestine, Palestinians sorry, have been reduced over the years. His son is an international lawyer and the founder and chair of law for Palestine. And we're really grateful to have you back on the show again. Joining His son I'm pleased to welcome back on the podcast Robert Mardini. Robert is the Director General of the International Committee of the Red Cross of the ICRC, as it is known. Joining Isan and Robert, we also have Sari Bashi, the Programme Director of Human Rights Watch. Um, and last but not least, our own Sorcha Callahan, the Director of Humanitarian Policy Group at ODI. Thank you to all of you for joining us today under such difficult circumstances. Isan and Sari, the scale of the violence we've been seeing in Israel and Gaza is at a level we haven't seen in decades. What's the current situation on the ground?
1: Hi, Sarah, and uh, thank you for having me again. So, like, talking about the, the situation on the ground is, like, extremely there. Uh, the The cumulative fertility toll has risen to almost 4,000, with over 1,500 of those being children. Like, it's believed also that hundreds more may still be trapped under uh, the rubble. Um, the continuous uh, uh, bombardment of uh, by Israel has left over thirty uh, uh, percent of homes in Gaza either destroyed or damaged. While Israel claims to be fighting Hamas, its actions seem to be uh, waging a war on the people of Gaza, the whole the whole community, the whole population, especially taking into account the the, the children who make half uh, 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 who make up half of of the population in Gaza. Uh, the siege on on gaza remains in place and has been tightened further uh, the closure of the Arafah crossing prevents uh, uh, the the needed humanitarian aid including food water medicine and fuel from entering uh, the water situation is there as well with water production at less than uh, 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 5% of of, of pre hostilities levels um, Water trucking operations have also uh, halted in many areas due to the lack of fuel, uh, insecurity, and uh, uh, blocked routes. Like, and it's not just Gaza, by the way. In the West Bank, the, the total fertility toll from Israel forces and settlers since October 7th, just two weeks ago almost, is uh, uh, 75, including 20 children. Uh, there have been 100 documented settler attacks against Palestinians. Also, displacement of at least uh, 74 Palestinian households. Like, uh, but uh, if we look on the situation on a larger scale, I think there is like growing concern that what is happening could be described as genocide. Scholars specializing in the crimes on the crime of genocide have analyzed Israeli action and official statements also indicating that they meet the definition of genocide mentioned in the genocide convention. Over 800 scholars and uh, uh, practitioners of international law, conflict studies and genocide studies and Holocaust as well have signed a public statement warning the uh, possibility of genocide being, uh, uh um, committed by Israel forces against Palestinians in, in the Gaza Strip and the UN special reporter said that like there is a grave danger that the situation may uh, uh, resemble the the uh, 1948 Nakba and that Israel and the international community supporting it are still justifying what could amount to ethnic cleansing in the name of uh, self-defense. Sorry, what are you
2: seeing? I mean, I, I I I don't have much to add to Ihsan's um, very disturbing um, depiction of what's going on in the West Bank and Gaza. I can just add on the Israeli side, as as we know, fourteen hundred people were killed. Um, there are f- over four hundred bodies that have yet to be identified, so there are a number of families who still don't know if their loved ones are were taken hostage in Gaza or if they are if their remains are being identified. Um, some of the attacks on civilians in Israel on October seventh included with heavy weaponry that made the bodies very difficult to uh, identify. Um, There are more than 200 hostages being held um, in Gaza. Um, uh, What I've heard is at least 30 of them are children. We know it also includes older people, people with disabilities. And we have concerns um, because the Hamas military wing last week threatened to execute some of the hostages. Robert,
0: the ICRC is responding in both Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories. Can you describe the humanitarian needs that your teams are dealing with on the ground?
3: Yes first, the ICRC is horrified by uh, the scope uh, and, and the uh, intensity of the of the fighting. Uh, we're horrified by the loss of life on both sides, uh, of course. Uh, and we've been present for decades uh, in in Israel and Gaza. Uh, I have been myself many times during previous rounds of escalation or in the immediate aftermath. And it is very hard for me to convey um, the the, the scope, the magnitude, uh, and the horror of what civilians are facing now, hour after hour. Um, People are really... Uh, living in in constant fear of violent death. Uh, There has been massive population displacement. Uh, Many people have lost uh, their roof. Uh, uh, There is no water, no electricity, um, no food, uh, uh, no basic necessities. Uh, Our teams are telling us and the Palestine Red Crescent Society, uh, colleagues uh, and doctors operating in hospital that all hospitals are at a breaking point, uh, uh, without electricity, without water, um, medical and surgical equipment and supplies are running very low. Um, so it, it's uh, it's hard to, to 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 find the right word. Is it a, a humani- humanitarian catastrophe? Is it a, a humanitarian um, a crisis of epic proportion? I think. Uh, It it is extremely worrying to see that 2.2 or 2.3 million people are uh, constantly in harm's way uh, and there is no uh, place safe in in the Gaza Strip. Um, And and I think what is new is the heightened level of uncertainty people are uh, living. It's not uh, uh, close to anything we've seen before. Uh, so, so massive challenges. Uh, what uh, needs to happen right now is uh, first that parties to the conflict comply with the rules of war. Those were uh, designed and thought precisely to be applicable in this type of situations, uh, and uh, those are the ultimate um, safety net to uphold dignity in uh, in war. It, they should be regarded by both sides to protect civilians. It is their obligations to protect civilian it is their obligation to ensure a critical um, the, the critical continuity of essential services and if this uh, obligation is not upheld if uh, parties are not able to do this there should be unimpeded flow of humanitarian goods and not only a couple of trucks trickling uh, for 2.2 million people there should be uh, an ongoing flow of humanitarian aid uh, uh, safely insured and also staff uh, being able uh, to uh, to carry out their life-saving work to support uh, the palestine red crescent society colleagues volunteers who are doing a fantastic job on the ground
0: thanks robert sorry uh, robert mentioned the lo- the laws of war and how they are being, you know flooding can you tell us more about how this war is being conducted and and what you're seeing
2: Sure. I I mean, I would agree with Robert that the laws of war were written exactly for this kind of situation. So the problem is not the law. The problem is the um, regression from obeying the rules of law, not just of the parties involved, but also of their backers. Double standards. Um, so, you know, across the world, um, backers of Israel, including the United States, including European countries, were understandably and appropriately horrified by the unspeakable war crimes that were committed against Israeli civilians by Hamas-led fighters. And they were horrified because that basic principle of not targeting civilians was flouted. But then when Israel decided to um, deliberately inflict harm on civilians in Gaza, that principle was not applied. Um, So there are clear rules, for example, um, certainly against targeting civilians, against massacring civilians, against taking them hostage, against threatening to execute them. All of those have been flouted by armed groups in Gaza. And there are also clear rules against collective punishment. The Israeli defense minister early on declared that he would deliberately stop supplies of fuel electricity, water, and food to the 2.2 million people living in Gaza, nearly half of whom are children. Um, That's collective punishment. Um, We also have uh, serious concerns about the evacuation order that was issued a week ago um, to folks in northern Gaza. So international humanitarian law encourages warring parties to issue warnings where such warnings can help civilians protect themselves, keep themselves safe. But Israel issued the evacuation order for a million people in northern Gaza, half the population, without providing them a safe place to go to or a safe way to get there. So many people fled to the south. Some of them were killed as they did so because the Israeli military did not stop the bombardments. And the south is not only undersupplied, it's also not safe. Um, there are many other people who remained in northern Gaza, um, People, elderly people, uh, people with disabilities, hospital patients, and the rescue workers who are working with them. I want to remind us that Gaza's main hospital is in northern Gaza, Shifa, and the evacuation order has made it much more difficult for people to even get care. Under those circumstances, that evacuation order risks being forcible transfer. Um, and the fact that the Israeli military has also encouraged people in Gaza to flee to Egypt, and that as it talks about humanitarian assistance, it's talking about southern Gaza and not about northern Gaza, raises those fears of forcible transfer, which is a war crime. Many of the older people in Gaza, um, most people in Gaza are refugees and their descendants. Many of the older people in Gaza who fled their homes in the past few days in the north remember fleeing homes in in what is now israel 75 years ago and they remember that they were not allowed to return and in terms of um, the, um, the question of uh, humanitarian law, not only does Israel as a warring party have an obligation to facilitate humanitarian assistance, as an to, to allow humanitarian assistance into Gaza, subject only to search and uh, ensuring it's not diverted. They also have an affirmative obligation as an occupying power to supply civilians in Gaza with goods. Not only are they completely leaving northern Gaza off the map. They're not doing very simple things like turning the water back on, turning the electricity back on. That doesn't require complicated logistical maneuvers. And nobody is even talking about the need for the Israeli government to open its own crossings for humanitarian aid, as opposed to leaving it just to a few trucks in Rafah.
0: Robert, slightly described some very egregious violations of the law of war. I'm sure you're making demarches to both parties. Can you say more on the OSCE engagement with the parties to the conflict?
3: Now, of course, the engagement is intensified on a range of issues. Uh, first and foremost, on the conduct of the military operations and hostilities, uh, uh, this is uh, this is part and parcel of our uh, work. Uh, uh, but also in connection with the uh, hostages, we uh, it is an absolute priority also for us, uh, for families, to get news about uh, their loved ones. Uh, we have also proposed uh, uh, to play a role of future intermediary should an agreement be reached uh, to uh, to free the hostages uh, uh, but of course uh, the main thrust of our dialogue today is to uh, remind parties of their obligations under international humanitarian law to uh, to alleviate uh, the ongoing plight and suffering uh, of people in harm's way.
0: Isan, in our last podcast, we discussed the historic failures of the ICC to hold Israel accountable for legal violations in this conflict. Has anything changed? And how how might this lack of action be perceived, do you think?
1: First, let's let's agree on something. The actions that we are seeing now, as your esteemed uh, guests uh, uh, indicated, are not only morally uh, reprehensible, but also from a legal perspective, they constitute clear and uh, grave uh, violations of international humanitarian law. And these actions amount to war crimes under Article 8 of the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court, crimes against the humanity under Article 7, and even uh, uh, genocide under Article 6 of the Rome Statute. Uh, so far, the court prosecutor reaction remains very um, modest compared to the reality on the ground and compared to his reactions in other contexts, such as uh, um, uh, Ukraine. So our call to the court is for urgent action. He should issue uh, arrest warrants for the uh, uh, cases that are currently under consideration in his office since uh, uh, 2021. And uh, also the important thing is to emphasize uh, that he needs to issue a preventive st- statements and arrange a visit to to palestine before the conclusion of 2023 as previously pledged during the 2022 assembly of state uh, uh parties i emphasize the urgency of 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 uh, this visit being undertaken before the conclusion of this year and to announce about it uh, uh, uh very soon and uh, like we can talk a lot about the investigation in the in, uh, long term, but in the short term, what is needed now uh, and is vital is to remember that the court has a duty to contribute to the revenge, uh, prevention of, of uh, uh, crimes. This responsibility is, is most effectively carried out by the prosecutor, the former prosecutor, uh, Fatou bin Souda, practice of issuing public uh, or preventive uh, statements to deter the escalation of, of violence proved highly effective. Such statements have acted uh, as a um, significant uh, uh, deterrent as seen in the case of uh, uh, planned force displacement of the uh, Khan al-Ahmar Bedouin uh, community in the West Bank. Uh, the Israeli authorities at that time appeared to um, alter their uh, course of action to avoid triggering uh, an ICC investigation. And I think the situation now is, is uh, uh, like even like much worse and it needs such preventive uh, statements to be issued by the prosecutor urgently.
0: So, should you want to come in on this, you know, long-standing um, denial of rights that San
4: describes? Sure. I mean, I think it's right that we're focusing on the immediate situation and the extraordinary escalation in violence and the widespread, um, you know, IHL um, situation. But we also need to remember that there is a long-standing conflict here, and this is, you know, that's what this is—an escalation. And then what we're seeing is that there's been a normalization of both the denial of rights and the horrific level of humanitarian suffering in Gaza, which predates this current escalation of which this current escalation is amplified. So that's the discrimination, the dispossession, the killings and the injuries that have resulted from the 55-year occupation and the 16-year blockade of Gaza, which this siege is just a tightening. And these, in the words of Amnesty International, are all part of a system that had been designed, and specifically designed, to privileged Israelis at the expense of, of Palestinians. So that means that before this current escalation, 80% of Palestinians in Gaza were reliant on humanitarian aid. Almost 50% were unemployed, and freedom of movement outside Gaza, even for emergency or specialist medical treatment, was incredibly difficult. So, the reason why Palestinians can't flee Gaza today, the reason why we can't get humanitarian supplies into Gaza, is because of this ongoing occupation event and blockade. So, when we're talking about IHL, when we're talking about accountability, it's really important that these wider and deeper issues are emphasized.
0: Sari, you alluded before to the fact that the international response to the conflict is deeply politicized. Um, and, of course, you can further inflame tensions in the whole region. Do you think there is a way forward for governments to positively influence the positions of different actors?
2: Yes. Um, So the United States is uh, influencing as a a mild word for their level of um, influence over the Israeli government. And I remind us that the U.S. president was here this week um, and Israel will do what what he tells them to do, in part because um, in addition to the three point eight billion dollars in annual military that Israel receives, it's now getting additional uh, shipments of um, sophisticated weapons. We need consistency from world leaders. We need world leaders to follow that very simple rule of protecting civilians and to apply it in the following ways. First of all, in terms of humanitarian aid, the deal brokered that has yet to be implemented to allow 20 trucks of aid into Rafah, not including fuel or anything else, is is woefully underambitious. We can aspire to more There needs to be a clear call to the Israeli government to restore electricity and water supplies to all of Gaza. Turn on the taps that you turned off. We also need a clear call for them to allow in a humanitarian corridor that is adequate for Gaza's needs. At least 100 trucks a day is what the humanitarians are saying, both at Rafah as well as with the Israeli crossings. In terms of the hostages, Everybody, no matter who you're allied with, needs to be very clear that all civilian hostages need to be released unconditionally and immediately, and all hostages need to be humanely treated. The conduct of hostilities is, uh, has Parts of it that are clear and parts of it that are not clear. Um, what should be done? We've, Human Rights Watch has documented the use of white phosphorus in civilian areas by the Israeli military, both in Lebanon as well as in Gaza. There needs to be a very clear message from the United States and others that that has to stop. It's unlawful. Um, the, uh, the, the, the bombing of Ga- in, in Gaza right now has been killing on average a hundred children a day. That's because the Israeli military is bombing, is using explosive weapons in heavily populated areas in ways that are predicted to cause massive civilian death and are causing massive civilian death and in ways that raise the, raise the risk of indiscriminate attacks. To put it another way, if you bomb a densely populated city with massive weapons, you will kill children and you are killing children. And it needs to be made very clear to the Israeli government that that's not an acceptable way to wage war. Palestinian fighters in Gaza who are continuing to fire rockets indiscriminately or deliberately at Israeli population centers in southern Israel and elsewhere need to stop. Hundreds of tens of thousands of people have been displaced. Civilians have been displaced in Israel. That's part of the consistency of international law. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what side you're on, and it doesn't matter what they're doing warring parties need to obey international law and their backers need to be consistent in their insistence on protections for civilians.
0: That's a very good point about consistency. How can we ensure that we have, you know, less double standards, Russia?
4: I mean, I think what we saw in Ukraine was just the immediate and outspoken condemnation of Russia when it cut off electricity to Ukrainian populations. So why aren't we seeing the same when Israel is cutting off electricity and food and other supplies to Palestinians. It's absolutely hypocritical that the U.S. vetoed the U.N. Security Council, Council resolution on the humanitarian calls and the U.K. abstained. And as we've just heard from Sari, these governments have huge sway over Israel and they need to use this sway um, to, to benefit and to protect uh, civilian life. But what we've seen is that there's almost been unconditional support, and certainly in the early days of the crisis, but standing to shoulder to shoulder to Israel when this um, you know, collective punishment and bombardment has been rained down on Palestinian lives. And this has allowed an environment, a permissive environment, where the accountability of Israel to protect civilian lives is downplayed. And there's been rightful condemnation of Hamas And a focus on on Israelis' lives, but this needs to be consistently applied. We see a situation where Western governments were shocked and very concerned that Global South actors remain neutral on Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But how can you argue that these rules are universal, that they need to be consistently applied, and that Global South actors should use their influence when we see that those governments who design these laws now t- seem to be saying that they don't apply consistently to their friends. So this is something we really need to see action on, and we need to see action on immediately. In
0: We're almost at time, but you know, just, just a concluding sort of uh, comment. We clearly need global leaders to prioritise civilian safety in Israel and Palestine. But we also need more efforts to stabilize the region, you know, this conflict has really the potential to further um, destabilize, to escalate and destabilize the region further. So just in in, in a few seconds from all of you, what action do you think is needed at this stage of the conflict and and, and what do you think are the prospects? Um, Robert, I don't know if you want to start.
3: Yeah, thank you, Sarah. So so first, uh, international humanitarian law, this is the only tool so parties uh, should comply and there should be no compromise on compliance. But also uh, parties of influence have to ensure respect for international humanitarian law and there should be no support without compliance, uh, simply put. Number two... Um, let's uh, not put the onus on humanitarian deliveries and uh, essential services on humanitarians. The onus is on parties to the conflict. And when they fail to address or to provide for the basic needs for the population, then they should facilitate humanitarian aid. Uh, They should find workable ways, solutions to trickle regularly humanitarian aid and allow humanitarians to carry out their work Uh, safely. Um, uh, And there should be no politicization of humanitarian aid, which is always a risk uh, that we see in all conflict. And uh, last but not least, I think world leaders should now put their act together and their uh, energy to uh, put an end or uh, uh, stop this conflict first, uh, to, uh, to avoid further escalation and further loss of life. Uh, But more importantly, uh, more political capital should be invested in a genuine way uh, to find a political solution to this problem, to avoid that this happens again and again and again.
4: I mean, I think in addition to to all of that, we need to engage with um, the Israeli government about its its longer term plans for its invasion in in Gaza. What is the plan? We need to remember the lessons from Iraq, from Libya, from Chechnya, from Afghanistan. In each case, military engagement to deposed authorities resulted in prolonged humanitarian need and real civilian casualties. Um, so the desire for retribution um, against Hamas needs to be considered and balanced with the longer term consequences for the civilian population in Palestine.
1: Like I agree with with the previous interventions, and I think that global discourse often like overlooks the root causes of the Israeli uh, recurrent military actions, which are linked to their illegal apartheid and occupation regime since 1948, undermining the claim of of lawful self defence. Like I think entities like Hamas are considered outcomes of the Israeli. Uh, long-standing aggressive uh occupation and unlawful use of of forests, which have been in violation of the un charter this in in any way doesn't mean that to to justify uh 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 the, the crimes committed uh 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 in this regard but again we need to like uh recognize let's say the the uh uh, uh root causes of ongoing israeli military act, uh, aggression including uh, uh israeli apartheid regime we need to uh, call on israel, on israel to uh, seize its illegal occupation of both gaza and west Bank, which has been an ongoing act of aggression uh, as i uh, uh mentioned and I, I can conclude my message by asking how many more lives need to be lost before uh, responsible actors Call for de escalation. I mean, are there any red lines? A a catastrophe is uh, already there. And uh, I think uh, if the international community fails to act now, it will be complicit in the Israeli genocide against the Palestinian people.
2: I'm glad my colleagues talked about longer term consequences. I'll just focus on something very short term. We seem to be on the verge of an imminent ground evasion into Gaza that appears focused on northern Gaza. Europe the United States, all governments that have influence with the Israeli government should make it extremely clear that civilians in northern Gaza who either cannot or did not, or chose not to evacuate, Retain their protections under international law. And when the Israeli military, if and when the Israeli military invades Northern Gaza, it needs to protect civilians and protect civilian installations, including Shifa hospital that is treating thousands of wounded. And I say this because we have heard statements from the Israeli government raising concern that they will treat people left behind in Gaza as uh, legitimate targets. And it needs to be crystal clear to the Israeli military that that is not acceptable.
0: Thank you to all of you for um, joining me today on this episode of think change I mean this is all we have time today but this was really important you know to bring out as a conversation and we've heard so clearly you know from all of you and, and something that we've said ourselves in our statement to the I, how important the laws of war are you know the laws of war exist to preserve humanity, even in the midst of the worst fighting. They give us the moral compass that is there to limit the suffering of civilians. And as you all said, I think it's incumbent on all of us to to push political leaders to act, um, to make sure that the laws of war are upheld and and to really stop the humanitarian catastrophe that we are all witnessing unfold under our eyes. Um, As the situation is evolving so quickly, um, ODI will continue to monitor the emerging conversations and and look to highlight how and where the response must be improved. If you enjoyed this episode, please do um, like, subscribe and rate. It helps us a lot. And make sure to keep an eye out for the next one. Until then, goodbye.